ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. My name is Nadja Parker, and welcome to HBCU Journeys, a special edition podcast series brought to you by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In this 10-part series, our team of reporters, Rosalind Bentley, Eric Sturgis, and Ernie Suggs, dig into the heart of what makes an HBCU experience so unique through candid interviews with people who enjoy them the most. In this episode, we chat with Wayne Hayden, a graduate of Southern University of Baton Rouge. As we all know, HBCU stands for Historically Black Colleges and Universities, but Wayne is a white guy. Ernie, can you talk more about his experience? Yeah. Well, one thing about HBCUs, uh, ever since their inception in 1837, they've never really been exclusive. So a lot of people think about black colleges and they think they're all black, but they've never been all black. They've always been open, or at least their doors have always been open. And uh, Wayne, who is from New Orleans, basically kicked that door in at Southern University. He embraced uh, the university from the time he was like six or seven years old. So he always knew, probably more so than you and I, who also went to black colleges, he knew where he was going to college when he was in elementary school. So uh, he has a very fascinating story. He has a very interesting story. He's a very interesting person. And um, I think you'll enjoy this episode. I think we will, too. I'm looking forward to this one. Let's listen. Hello. Uh, my name is Wayne Hayden. I am a 2004 graduate of the Southern University and A&M College in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and a 2009 graduate of the Southern University Law Center. Okay, so you got a double degree from uh, the Southern University. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I noticed how you said the the. Um... Yeah, it's it's both a tradition and a, of course, not the only university that yeah, uses yeah. the D, but um, <laughs> when, when you put the, it, it, it distinguishes the institution on a, on a national sure. scale yeah, and yeah. from others. Like yeah, it's not yeah. also it's the Southern or yeah, the yeah. whatever state university. Yeah, the Ohio State University. You or, said it yeah. at me. <laughs> the University of Miami. So listen, we're not going to talk about Ohio State or Miami or all those kinds of stuff. Let's talk not. about the Southern University. So, uh, where are you from? You're from New Orleans, right? Yes, I'm, I'm oh, born and raised in New Orleans. You got New Orleans uh, draw there going. <laughs> it's a draw. <laughs> or what? Well, it was funny is here in, in, in Atlanta, only people from New Orleans recognize that everybody else thinks I'm from New York or somewhere oh, on really? the East Coast. Yeah. Okay, okay. It's a similar accent because part of New Orleans I'm from in the Night War was both settled by Irish and, Irish and Italian immigrants. Oh, okay. So, okay. it developed a similar accent. Okay. So, how did you end up um, at, at, at Southern? At Southern? Um, it, it was... Two prong, really three prong. One, um, my surrogate adopted family, which is my best friend Reginald. All of his family were Southernites. Uh-huh. Um, still are. Okay. I mean, his firstborn daughter, who's my godchild, is a student there now. Mm-hmm. Um, the other part of it is being in New Orleans. Most of my educators from a young age. My um, kindergarten teacher was from had gone to Southern. She's an alum. And then my sixth grade teacher, I mean, the bookends of my elementary education mm-hmm. were that real foundation of 
the building blocks of your entire education. It was bookended by Southern grads, and then the next year in seventh grade when I went to middle school, my band director, Daryl Dickerson, was fresh off the yard, as we say. And, uh-huh. um, and that was my indoctrination, introduction into that. I already knew how to play music because we, uh-huh. we start young in the world playing sure. music. Yeah, yeah. But once I got there, that's when I learned, you know, the style and the military and eight to five and everything. And then the third part is just being in New Orleans. You grow up around Southerners just everywhere. You got the Bayou Classic. I grew up going to the game with my friends and watching Southern and Grambling. And, and it's just because Southern's right up the road. But uh-huh. anyone from Atlanta, to, to, to put it in a, in a geographic, you know, analogy, uh-huh. it, Southern is in Baton Rouge. Uh-huh. Which Baton Rouge to New Orleans is like Athens to Atlanta. Okay, okay. It's about that far. So it's a little drive, but it's right there. And it's just like everything you see in Atlanta is UGA. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, well, in the African-American community, uh-huh. everything you see uh-huh. is Southern. Uh-huh. So you, you mentioned the three parts that uh, drew you to Southern. You talked about how big Southern was in New Orleans. Absolutely. The presence. About your professor, your teachers yes. uh, who were Southern graduates and who influenced you. Absolutely. Your friends, uh, a friend uh, or uh, a teacher who had just graduated from Southern. So you're explaining things that I've talked to millions of HBCU graduates. Um, those are some of the reasons that brought them there. But one of the things that our listeners don't know is that you are not African-American. So you've been, you've been influenced by all these African-American influences to, um, to attract you to Southern University. Is that? Yeah. Yes. A, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess I forget to mention that sometimes. <laughs> I don't <laughs> no, care. It's not that, you know, it's not something to mention, but um, I think Actually, it's... Well, that's your job as a journalist, uh-huh, I guess. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I, I am, you know, uh, Caucasian, okay. European-American, okay. whatever the, 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 the descriptor we're going to use today. I, I uh-huh. am of Sicilian and Irish descent. Uh-huh. Um, but I grew up in a predominantly African-American part of New Orleans, New Orleans East. I went to... Major, well, my elementary school was a little diverse, but my middle school and my high school were predominantly African-American. When I was in a marching band in high school, I was the only white guy in a marching band until my little brother got in the band. Okay, uh-huh. So, um, uh-huh. so a lot of people asked me about that when I went to Southern. You know, how did you end up here? How did this happen? It was a, it was a natural progression. Yeah, natural, yeah. yeah so what was the experience like at Southern? It was only about 50, 60 miles away, so you're not far from home, but... What was the experience like? You stayed on campus? Absolutely, the entire time. Uh-huh. I, uh, I actually technically lived off campus for one semester in an uh-huh. apartment complex literally across the street, but technically on campus. It was uh-huh. known as the villa, uh-huh. but I moved back on campus. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, uh, yeah, there was nothing. It, it's part of the HBCU experience, if you ask me. I mean, if you're a commuter student, Mm-hmm. driving to or getting on a bus and going to campus and going home, you don't become immersed in all that it has to offer because an HBCU has so much more to offer than just going to class. And sure. that's part of what makes it great, unlike other institutions where you go and you're probably a number and a professor may or may not, more likely not, know who you are. Uh-huh. It That goes beyond the classroom. Uh-huh. You immer- If you're on campus, you get immersed in student life, organizations, activities, knowing people. Our our dorm uh-huh. um, was Horace G. Whitehall. Uh-huh. 
and a lot of that was a, an ongoing joke amongst us that I, I lived in Whitehall. Uh-huh. And you were the RA in Whitehall, right? I did become the RA <laughs> in Whitehall um, uh-huh. at the behest or request um, of plenty of, the, of my housemates, as we call it, because it was a small old school dorm. I believe it was built in like the early 40s. Okay. So uh-huh. it was just two floors, one hallway down the middle, uh-huh. one communal shower on each floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, red brick built. Well, wasn't really red. It was a brick built. It was just. Uh-huh. It was more like a big house yeah, than yeah. the huge dormitories that they're building nowadays. So, yeah. and then probably eighty percent of the guys in there were former band members mm-hmm. or and or guys from New Orleans. So it was it it was the house. Uh-huh. So when they needed a new RA, rather than have somebody from the outside, not uh-huh. quote unquote <laughs> one of us, come uh-huh. in, uh-huh. they was like, hey, you know, you somebody. I, I was an upperclassman at a point. I wonder, well. Might have been ju- between junior and senior, sophomore, junior year. It's one fuzzy time, depending on uh-huh. how many credits I had. Uh-huh. <laughs> Point is, I was a guy that you know everybody respected and looked up to. Is said, look, you need to do this before you bring somebody else in. Uh-huh. And I, I always I like telling that story because it shows you know to go back to your original question, what it was like, or how did that pan out for me being a white guy? But they asked me to be the RA because uh-huh. I, they didn't want somebody who wasn't, quote, one of us. One of us, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. And I, and yeah. I think that says volumes about how I was perceived and looked at. Uh-huh. That, no, you're one of us. We want you to be in charge. Uh-huh. We don't want some cat from outside. Uh-huh. So I'm, I want to get into uh, your SDA or your, um, your activities on campus and being one of us. But I want to go back for a second. Um, going to a historically black college. I know you had a lot of influences in high school and growing up mm-hmm. uh, for Southern. Yes. But was there ever anyone, you know, a principal or a, a guidance counselor, who was like, you know, why are you going to Southern? You can go to LSU. You can go to, you know, Tulane or whatever, who just were surprised at your decision to go to an HBCU. And I'm talking probably about a white. Um, yeah, not at my high school. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, somebody else I didn't mention. I didn't know at the time. I found out. Um, one of our assistant principals, uh, Mr. Sonier, who was a, uh-huh. a Southern grad. I, I looking through old yearbooks on campus. I saw a picture of him. Oh wow! Uh, when uh-huh. he was pledging Omega, I was like, uh-huh. "What?" Uh huh. So yeah, not at my high school, no. Okay. But I have heard. I was actually talking to someone. It's funny. I did have an assistant principal slash teacher who was very influential. He wasn't a Southern grad; he was a Diller grad, mm-hmm. who prevented me actually from dropping out of high school. Okay, and I, I I knew his daughters. I had gone to school from, from middle school, but she went to a different high school than I. And I was actually talking to her the other night because now I moved here to Atlanta, and he lives like up the block from. Oh uh, yeah, uh huh. Um, so I was talking to his daughter, who went to a magnet program, predominantly white school, and that she did have that experience. Uh huh. Uh-huh. When she, I think she was originally going to Dillard, but she wound up at Southern. She okay. she got her mind right, uh-huh. and. Uh, <laughs> Um, she was told that, uh, you know, kids from this school, we, we, they don't go. I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah. You know, yeah. third person hearsay. Uh-huh. Uh, but that experience that you laid out, she had that experience. But no, at my high school, no, I did not have that experience. Uh-huh. uh-huh. They, they were, not to talk down on my high school, they were glad I was going to college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm glad you went to college as well. So, okay, so we dropped, we, we let the, the listeners know that you are not African-American. You went to a historic black college. We have another bombshell to reveal. Not a bombshell, but you know, I, I'm kind of hyperbolic. I'm kind of hyperbolic. 
But you, uh, you talked about, you know, they wanted you to uh, be the RA at Whitehall because you're one of us. You're right. one of them. But you also made history at Southern University by telling telling tell our listeners. I right. am the first um, white student government president of Southern University or any HBCU, uh-huh. for that so, matter. What is that? I mean, how how, how, how does, does that happen? Well, how, it, 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 how do you feel it, about that, and how does that happen? I got to use, like, kind of like Doug Williams' analogy when they asked uh-huh. him, you know, how long you've been a black quarterback, uh-huh. you know? <laughs> I didn't run to be a white president. I uh-huh. ran to be president of the student body that I was – now, since then, obviously, there's always been periodically people want to talk about it. Uh-huh. And, um, the uh, sensationalism of it, and it happened at first, and that we weren't naive. Like when a few of my partners got together, because I put out the call said, "Hey, if y'all think," because I had previously been involved in SGA, uh-huh. so let me stick to the call your question. How does that happen? Uh-huh. I'm an RA. At this time, I've already started to get kind of involved in student government from a distance, uh-huh. um, being someone very vocal about things going on on campus. Uh, in in Homecoming 99, the night of the Homecoming concert, we came back to Whitehall, and there's a twin dorm next to it, Reed Hall, uh-huh. and it had yellow tape around it because um, a friend of ours had gotten murdered, murdered. during the campus. Okay. And then within, I want to say, a day or two, maybe three days at the most, the chancellor at the time had a meeting in the nursing building, which was across the driveway in their auditorium, and had the residents of those two dorms in there and basically was chastising us as though, quote unquote, how we live in and the things we do in the dorm had brought this upon ourselves. Uh-huh. And I just stood up in front of all these people. was like, nah, Jack, it ain't going down like that. Uh-huh. You wrong. Y'all knew about security issues from incidents that are documented from. The spring of 99, uh-huh. and you had spring, summer, to rectify this, and now this has happened. It's on you. You're not yeah. going to put this on us. Uh-huh. And it was after that, the SGA president at the time, his name was Niles Hamer, uh-huh. um, who has since, I mean, to this day, been a bit of a mentor to me. Uh-huh. Um, he's now an attorney in Baton Rouge. He, uh-huh. My attorney. He's okay. representing okay. me on certain <laughs> things. Um, um, he was like, you need to get involved. Okay. He's like, if you're willing to stand up like that and voice your opinion and stand up for not only yourself but everybody in the room and your housemates and whatnot, you need to be involved. Uh-huh. So I slowly, I was like, okay. And we're, yeah, okay. And uh, the, by the next year, his vice president, Derek Robertson, d Rob would call, he was like, look, you need to get involved, you need to get involved. So I came to him I said, all right, give me the job that nobody wants, okay. and I'll do that job. Uh-huh. So I did, and he put me in charge of public relations of all things. Okay. <laughs> which uh, I started, he wanted me to put out a newsletter and whatnot. That kind of started, I wound up keeping that job for him and then the next two presidents. Okay. So by the time, fast forward, it, it, you know, we're going into my fifth year. Uh-huh. And everybody's looking around like, they're looking at me like, you're the natural successor you needed you know sga inside and out but by this time i had traveled with the sga as a cabinet member to hbu think think tanks at uh-huh. at tennessee state and been around i have represented the university yeah yeah in this you know capacity uh-huh. you know for a while I'm, I'm putting together events uh-huh. you know i'm working with the black student union you're DJing, at, you're writing I'm a column de- in the uh 
I'm 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 writing a column in the in the thing. I'm I'm DJing just about everything on campus. Uh-huh. It's either me or the guy uh, Mike and call him Super at, at the radio station. Uh-huh. One of us is DJing, and uh, another part of mine, Dave, uh-huh. who's also uh-huh. in the SGA. Uh-huh. So I got a lot of visibility. I'm doing all that stuff. I'm involved. Um, and it was just everybody was like, "Well, look, nobody's really running." There were people running who were qualified. The, the 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 current vice president had been vice president for two years. Uh-huh. There was a senior, well, junior class president. Um, there was a guy that wasn't active in SGA. He was um, very active in the Alpha chapter. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it was one of those things where the the majority of the the everyday general student body was like not feeling it, and then they would come to me like, "Look, uh-huh. we know you." Okay. You know, we get down with you. Uh-huh. You need to, you need to do this. Uh-huh. So it's like, okay, and I put out the call. I said, look, I'm gonna have a meeting at Whitehall in the lobby uh-huh. tonight. Um, come through if y'all want to do this. And uh-huh. I had like five, six partners show up. Uh-huh. I was like, well, and I prayed about it because wasn't being naive. I knew, you know, I am white. Uh-huh. It's gonna cause a little bit of controversy. Yeah, yeah. Did it, you get any backlash? Yes. During but, the campaign? Uh, majority from people outside of the student body. Okay. Um, what, alums or just people who are just watching? or People were, weren't really doing or saying things publicly. Okay. But streets talk. Uh, yeah. And they would get back to me. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, and we ran a straight campaign. I'm not, not going to address it. We're not going to get in mudslinging. Uh-huh. You let them do all that. All we're going to talk about is what... We have planned what me and my crew, what we have, what we can bring to the table, what we can do, you know, my qualifications, my resume. Uh-huh. Anybody else wants to sling mud or do whatever, cool. We're going to keep forward. We're going to do this. And uh-huh. we won by a landslide. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It wasn't even close. Wow. And we, um, and that was with four opponents. We almost won without a runoff. We were within like 100 votes. And then when we had the runoff. Uh-huh. You know, and it would blow it out the water. But by that time, then we realized we were a little naive in thinking that um, it was only going to cause maybe a little ripples. It caused some waves. I mean, um, it was mentioned on a nationally radio, uh, syndicated radio morning uh-huh. talk show. Uh-huh. I mentioned this to you before, and I, I'm just not going to say his name, but okay. it is, <laughs> um, he's an HBCU alum, and, and he does a lot for HBCU, so uh-huh. I'm going to let that be. And, okay. <laughs> But I was, and I didn't hear myself because that same morning he allegedly said things, uh-huh. which I heard from numerous people that morning. That he did say it. Yeah, that mm-hmm. it, the, the quote allegedly, uh-huh. allegedly uh-huh. was, uh-huh. "Y'all don't let that white boy win at Southern." Okay. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. Um, and many people responded that, well, nobody let him win. We made him win. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You were voted that, in. Yeah. That's yeah. how elections work. Yeah. I didn't hear it myself because that morning I was at the local radio station. Uh-huh. I, I hate to say defending myself because I wasn't attacked, but uh-huh. being interviewed. Sure, yeah. Because the way that happened, I came out of a meeting with the chancellor that morning, uh-huh. um, which was a unique thing I it was a meeting I requested uh-huh. to just sit him down and tell him look uh-huh. I know 
things are kind of, you know, people are saying things and I'm more than positive getting phone calls. Uh-huh. And I personally assured him that um, he and I didn't know any know each other on a personal basis yet. Okay. But uh, um, my intentions were pure and uh-huh. in the best interest of the university that I had come to love. Did you grow weary of kind of like, um, or did you have to talk about this a lot? Did you grow real weary of it? And, you know, I'm talking about it now to you. <laughs> but, um, you know, did you get kind of tired of it talking about it? Or did it ever become an issue? There, like there, there was a week to two week span okay. when it first happened that, like I said, people from outside, you know, I'm getting phone calls for quotes from USA Today, and uh-huh. I'm hearing about articles popping up that I wasn't contacted uh-huh. for a quote, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is kind of aggravating. But um, uh, I, at the time, uh, College Hill. Uh, a reality show was filming their pilot on campus, so yeah. they got a lot of the goings on on tape. And I was, they wanted to interview me between the initial vote and the runoff because uh-huh. they were pretty sure I was going to pull it off because uh-huh. they saw what was happening. Yeah. They saw the movement mm-hmm. and they saw the excitement. And uh, the the gentleman who interviewed me, his name was Stephen Hill, who many people know who he is now. Yeah. Uh-huh. I had no idea who he was. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it was kind of at that point we realized, you know, this thing might be ticked. But then once it happened, we won. It was on local news, and certain national media outlets, and it got to a point that I, it was actually the night I was sworn in, my inauguration in the union. I was like, this is it. I'm not giving any more interviews. I did all the local radio stations, local TV stations, local papers between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. I have work to do now. Uh-huh. I wasn't inaugurated. I didn't have anything. I just got sworn in, and in my speech, I was like, that's it shutting it down uh-huh. I didn't ask for all this I didn't do it for this uh-huh. I ran because we got things to do and that was it and then every now and then like around homecoming I gave an interview to it was a network at the time I, I don't know if you remember NBC yeah 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 uh-huh. uh, yeah um, oh yeah yeah they came to campus uh-huh. did an interview you know it, every now and then I have a but it for the most part I had to take the effort to shut down the uh-huh. sensationalism of it of it just getting out of hand and people focusing on me being a white guy and being SG president, then just, it's not about me. It's not, yeah. it's about Southern. And even my election wasn't about me. Uh-huh. The, the most you could say about me, I felt was my character and my reputation that made it easy for me to pull it off. That people say, Oh yeah, I know Wayne. Well, uh-huh. actually they all call me Buck. Uh-huh. My, my nickname, uncle Buck. Uh-huh. I, my, my main campaign objective was to teach people my real name because uh-huh. I couldn't put my nickname on the ballot. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. I didn't want it to be, and to go back, like I was talking about, it, it like with the Doug Williams, how long he been a black quarterback, you know? Uh, oh, yeah. I didn't run, and it, there was one thing at the debate in the union, There's a seg- there was a segment where people could get up from the audience and uh-huh. ask questions, yeah. and a girl got up and asked a question. Uh-huh. You know, this is the largest, at the time, Southern was the largest HBCU in the country. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. This is, you know, the, the paraphrasing, of course, she was saying, you know, this is the largest HBCU in the country. Do you really feel that as a white student, you're qualified to be our student government president? And it was, ah, everybody was, that's racist. That's uh-huh. Now, on my side of it, I had to be just plain dumb to not ex- expect that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the moderator, that was, oh, you don't have to answer that. No, I said, no, no, everybody calm down. Uh-huh. Yeah, let's address this. Okay. And I was like, look. I was in the band, dancing uh-huh. on a fifty-yard line in front of the band. I've uh-huh. been in the SGA. I've been an RA. Uh-huh. I'm the first white RA at the school. Uh-huh. 
You know, I've, I've, I've been de facto representing the university all this time, and nobody's had an issue. Uh-huh. But now it's a problem. Uh-huh. And I've often talked with my buddies who were on a campaign. It was like that right there. That was the moment. That was the moment. Everybody else was cooked, and you were president at that point. At that moment. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It was like, let's go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, that was where it snowballed from there. And then after that, you know, we were president. We shut, well, I was president, and... Me and my people went in. We had work to do. Uh-huh. And that's that's all it was to it. But there was any, all the negative stuff came from outside the student outside. body. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so how did that experience as SGA president? How did that kind of like um, inform or influence your life now, and make oh. you who you are now? Hmm. Well, um, one of the funny things about it, the initial funny thing was a lot of people that get involved in student government, not just at Southern, but any school. They're doing that because they're a poli-sci major. Okay. I was actually a business major at the time, and because I felt like me getting drafted into student government and leadership positions, and then ultimately SGA, but before I was even SGA president, I had changed my major to Mm poli-sci. And so that's the first thing. It changed my major to, you know, once you find that major that you where you actually enjoy going to class. Mm -hmm. Because there were times when I was a business major, I was like, oh, i got to yeah. count today, and yeah. I don't want to go. This, yeah. this is horrible. <laughs> I was excited about going to class uh-huh. once I was a positive. So that was the thing. And then I likely would not have gone to law school had I not been next year president. Okay, okay. Um, and people ask me all the time, you know, if not only had, did it have me go to law school, but go to law school at Southern. People ask me all the time is what I was getting at um, – was Southern your first choice for law school? And I told him no. Okay. It was my only was, choice. Okay. It was your only choice. Only okay. choice. Okay. Uh, it wasn't a first, second, or third. It was the only choice. Uh-huh. And um, it was the right choice. Okay. Um, and, and it influenced me because um, even though I was very aware, as, as the young people say today, woke, <laughs> um, I was very socially aware and conscious already, uh-huh. but it did, it, it, it increased exponentially once that position, and this was kind of a, a serendipitous thing where it wasn't inten- intentional, uh-huh. but very great that although I was already consciously aware, it opened my eyes to so many things and exposed me to so many things. Uh-huh. Like um, the very first speaker that we, as SGA, not the university, the SGA, we put up student money to bring Dr. Cornell West to campus. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I and saw the photo of you on Dr. Yeah, West. That yeah. was profound. Yeah. Um, because a previous president, I have to give Stephen Sumber credit, he was going to bring him in, and uh-huh. uh, there was a thing where after 9-11, Dr. West wasn't flying. Okay. But now he was available again. So I was like, it, that was, uh, I took pride in the fact that that was the first purchase order, financial documents I signed uh-huh. was to pay for him uh-huh. to come in. And a lot of people, because people at the time, we're talking 2003, uh-huh. people weren't, a lot really well versed on where Dr. West stood on certain things, and because of the titles, his, his books, Rex sure, Matters, yeah. and all. Yeah, they just thought he was just you know anti white and all this. Yeah. So they're uh-huh. like, You're bringing him in. It was uh-huh. like, <laughs> Y'all need to read, <laughs> yeah, 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 read Race Matters, right? So, yeah. um, we brought him in, and um, not many people can say they had the opportunity to sit down and have a one on one conversation with Dr. Cornell West, yeah, yeah. And it was, like I said, great. Um, 
and then I got to introduce him and, and host him officially uh-huh. on behalf of the universe and all that. But of all the things we talked about, probably uh, the two things I took away that did influence me a lot was that I mentioned to him some of the pushback, especially uh-huh. from outside the university, on my election. Sure. Uh-huh. Who else would you want? Yeah. I mean, you can't be, oh, I don't care what people think. But if you do care about somebody to think, especially from academia, yeah. it Cornel would be West. the foremost authority on race relations in the Yeah. Dr. West. And he was, t- and actually somebody, one of the pictures I gave you was, there's a picture where he looks kind of astonished. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Th- that picture was taken in the middle of that. Okay. And they were like, he was like, you weren't anointed or appointed, you were uh-huh. elected. elected. He was like, yeah. this is beautiful. Yeah. He was like, this is great. Uh-huh. This is contradicting to what everyone says, because one of the main things when people ask about about the, the anti HBCU stances, like, what if I, if a white person went to a black college? Yeah. Well, I get, I'd like to talk about it. I'll let you know. Well, how were you treated? And, and I was telling <laughs> one of my buddies one of the quips that I usually, I don't even go into a long diatribe. He's like, well, how were you treated? Like royalty. <laughs> uh-huh. What do you mean? I'll show him a picture that I have um, of, of me escorting Miss Southern, the yeah, queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See? Like royalty, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but it was that—that that was kind of profound. I was like, "This is the person that so many people were waiting on him to show up in the university and be like, what are y'all thinking?'" Uh-huh. And instead, he was like, "This is beautiful." Uh huh. Uh-huh. Was like, "This is what it should be." Yeah, yeah. And the other thing was that he conveyed to me in a more private setting than right there in the back of the gym when we were just talking because we had spoken before that. That he it was conveyed to me that uh, the 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 level and the uh, the magnitude of my responsibility now. Okay. That I had this position. I have many microphones. Uh-huh. I had a spotlight, and that um, because of the somewhat shock value when I would speak truth. Uh-huh. I had the responsibility to do so. Okay. It, it was kind of like. The the whole Bible phrase, you know, too much to whom much is given, much is expected. Yeah, sure, yeah. And and for him to sit there and tell me that, it, I'm never gonna forget that. And then that, you know, back to the call of that question is, that's one of the main things that how it affected me. And then there was other things, other celebrities and stuff. Uh-huh. Met Babyface, Scarface, all the people that, you know, there's the funny story where at homecoming I got in an argument with Ti backstage, but. <laughs> That was before. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll let that go. Before other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and then of course the the probably the greatest thing was that's how I met my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to end on that. So you met your wife on campus. Yeah, she was actually um, going out of her way to congratulate me. Uh huh. I was like, oh, thank you uh-huh. so much. You know, I appreciate that. And how you doing? Uh-huh. <laughs> you need to come by the office sometimes. So we can chat. <laughs> Well, you know, have lunch, Uh take walks, Uh and she did, and we're now uh, married. How long have you been married? Since '09. How many years is that now? (laughs) Um, Eight, eight years. Yeah, eight years. It'll be nine in in May. Okay. We're married, two kids. Okay. Uh, We live here in Lawrenceville, Gwinnett County. Okay. We love Metro Atlanta. We actually came here behind her job. Uh Um, But yeah, that that would not because. She might not have went out of her way to even speak or say hello. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's still a chance I would have seen her walking, you know, by on the yard. <laughs> and be like, hello. 
uh, how you do it. But uh, um, so yeah, I think that, I asked you before, um, and this uh, this will be our last question. Um, you have two sons, yes. and your wife went to Southern. Uh, you grew up going to Southern. I, I, Are your kids going to go to Southern? I would like them to. Okay. Um, I can't say definitive. I mean, they're they're six and seven, and you know, aside from, I often tell people. I know we're running short on time, but this is, you know, on my wife's side, they, you know, people say, that, well, their legacy history because of who their dad is. But on my wife's side, the union on campus is named after two students named Smith and Brown who were yeah. murdered on campus yeah. um, in 1972. November. By the police, right? Uh, police, state troopers, state sheriffs, troopers, yeah. law enforcement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because nobody has def- been charged or figured out who fired the shots. Yeah, yeah. That killed these two young men uh-huh. who were um, protesting um, in conditions on campus yeah. having to do with the administration and the faculty and what a myriad of issues. The, but the point is they were, they were killed on campus by law enforcement officers, and there was never really, in my opinion, in many people's opinion, a, a concerted effort to find out who fired those shots, Yeah, yeah. which in retrospect um, could have been done. It was this film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I saw the documentary. Yeah, and it's in in the documentary. Um, was it HBCU Rising? I believe yeah. his name. Yeah, uh, is the name of it. Um, anyway, Smith is a cousin of my wife. Okay, wow. Okay, and uh, I, I told you this anecdote before, but I get. I'm sure you might want to record it again. When I was president, when I go into the um, the union mm-hmm. every day. I'd walk by the paintings of Leonard Brown and Denver Smith. And uh-huh. His painting looked like it was looking at me. And all yeah. my, my partners was like, man, you, you tripping. He ain't looking at you. You're watching too many movies. Uh-huh. And then come to find out, I was dating his cousin uh-huh. at the time. <laughs> so it, to to get back to my sons, I would like uh-huh. for them to do that. Um, um, I would like definitely for them to, if not, go to an HBCU. Okay. Okay. Um, but it hinges on two, one, my wife and I deciding at the time, once they're old enough to be choosing a college, uh-huh. uh, many, because people shouldn't choose a college just because it's certain. Sure, yeah. it, it should play a large part, but it depends on what they're going to major and what they're yeah, going to yeah. do. Um, if they are student athletes, I would definitely want them to go to an HBCU. Okay. Okay. You so, would? Yes. Okay. Yes, okay. I don't. <laughs> that's probably enough. That's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing would be that's on HBCUs to get their act together uh-huh. as a whole because uh-huh. not all of them are. Yeah. And um, that can also be another podcast. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'll just bite my tongue with that. But I would want them to be um, – to continue their family legacy on my side and uh-huh. their side, the legacy that I've started and the legacy that goes. I mean, she went, uh, you know, their godfather, their, their cousin, my godchild is uh-huh. there. You know, it, it's going to be yeah. family legacy that I would like for them to continue and I would like for them to be able to continue uh-huh. should Southern University and other HBCUs. I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with them going to Morehouse or uh-huh. or Clark or – you know, wherever. Okay. All right. But 
Well, I really appreciate you coming back a second time. That's no problem. Talk to us. Come back a third, fourth time. We'll, <laughs> well hopefully the more. tape is working this time. So yeah, um, this hey, will be the only hey, time. I'll come talk to you about anything you want to talk about. Right? All right. Okay. Well, Anytime. thanks a lot, man. I'm Wayne Hayden, and this is my HBCU journey. In our next episode, we chat with Clarkite Sarah White, a student who was adopted by a white family and had a bit of a culture shock when she made it to Atlanta. And to read more about HBCU graduates in our host series, log on to myajc.com for a full array of stories, videos, charts, and photos about the history and fate of America's black colleges. I'm Nadja Parker. We'll catch you on the next episode. And thank you for listening to HBCU Journeys. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on.